0: Hashtag Pistons Basketball. We're back again. I'm Joe. I'm your host. Joined as usual by Mr. Kumail Cahill. You can find him on Twitter at MBA. You can find him on YouTube at Koo's Ballroom. Um, I believe we both still write for Detroit Bad Boys. (laughs) Uh, For now. If we ever write anything ever again. And we're here. So, (laughs) the big news of the day is... Today, well, when we recorded this, as most of you will probably listen to this the day after, or recording this the night of, um, the Pistons finally hired a GM, and they fired who, fired, hired, who um, I think most people, including both of us, thought was the guy going into it, was the guy who was the best option, and that is T- Troy Weaver, who has been... Um, I believe his official title was Assistant Head of Basketball Operations in Oklahoma City. Uh, he'd been with the Thunder for a while. He'd been the assistant GM and been like the kind of second or third and third guy in the line behind Sam Presti for several years. Um, and yeah, I believe that his previous title was Assistant Head of Basketball Operations. Uh, so he'd been with Oklahoma City for a while. Um, he'd been with... One other NBA team for a while before that. He bounced around a little bit as a scout. And he'd also done some work um, with Syracuse as an assistant coach, I believe. Um, and uh, and a couple other schools, I think, too. But regardless, the main thing that we're worried about for his job at the Pistons is um, he's been a, while obviously never been the top guy, never been the general manager of a team before. Uh, He has had some very high-level NBA front office experience for a team in the Thunder that while they have had some missteps along the way, they have drafted very well. And even if they do have a few missteps, you would have to say that overall, particularly considering that uh, in Oklahoma City they've got an owner that is not super willing to spend a ton of money, has done a pretty good job of consistently putting forward pretty competitive and good teams, so, you know, obviously they don't have a perfect track record, but there's a lot to like in the work that um, Sam Presti's front office has done. Uh, a lot of people, me included, I don't know for sure what Koo thinks about Sam Presti in the Thunder front office, but by and large, I would say that he's that's one of the that's been one of the better front offices in the league. Uh, once again, aside from a couple of mistakes. Um, a couple of missteps overall. I think they've done a really, really good job, more or less. So, obviously, I really, he's a guy who, he does check pretty much all of the boxes that you would want for someone who is going to be your general manager. So, I'm just going to read this off what I said earlier today. So, he's got a lot of experience in a successful front office. Uh, you know, he's not like, like some people have suggest. of course, were initially suggesting, oh, they should like hire Chauncey Billups. That would have been a little bit worrying because Chauncey has no experience in a front office. Um, Some people have suggested maybe Tayshaun Prince. He's got a little more experience, although not a lot. And the Grizzlies, I mean, they're looking up right now, but a little bit questionable as to exactly how great that front office has been overall. Uh, Whereas with the Thunder, overall, you certainly, you know, once again, aside from a few missteps... Uh, Overall, certainly uh, some really good work that's happened there, and Sam Presti is very highly regarded by pretty much everyone around the league. So he's got a lot of experience in a good front office that has had a lot of success. Um, He's not like some super old guy who's had several general manager jobs already. Uh, He's on the younger side. This is his first top dog position, uh, which means that he should have a real... um, he should have a real desire to succeed and kind of a hunger to um, find success he's not going to be it's like and he never came and was an option but like if they'd hired like one of the coangelos or some crap like that and it's like there's a dude who's done this for a long time and is just kind of he's just kind of here i would have been a little disappointed by that um, so we basically he's a guy that he's going to have a real vested interest in trying to do well here he's hoping that this is the first step towards a longer journey in his career. Um, he's not, you know, just kind of winding it down or anything like that. Uh, supposedly, from what we've heard, obviously it's difficult to know exactly how front offices work from the outside, but supposedly he's been very involved in drafting stuff. Um, his history in basketball is as a scout. I believe that's where he got his first couple of, his first few jobs in, in the NBA, or as a a scout so that's his background and he supposedly has been very involved in the drafting process in the Oklahoma City which once again Oklahoma City has drafted really really well for a long time now so that's a really good sign and then lastly even though obviously this is not the most important thing you need to have all the other things first but it's certainly not a bad thing that um we've got a black guy who is now the general manager to go along with the fact that Dwayne Casey of course is the head coach um, particularly in a city like Detroit that is, of course, a very, very black city. It's a, it's good and cool um, that, you know, two of the top positions in the organization, head coach and general manager, are now helmed by, by black men, um, which is obviously a positive and also supposedly something that the Pistons were hoping to do with this hire um, that we'd heard. There were a couple of reports that they were hoping to find someone like that. So he really does check all of the boxes where – in every single way, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later, at least I will, but um, pretty much the response from almost every single corner has been incredibly positive. Basically, I don't think I've seen a single person say anything other than that they think that he's going to be really good and the Pistons made the right hire. So, yeah, so that's kind of just all the information um, as far as thoughts on it. Ku, I'll let you start us off with it, because obviously I just talked for a while, so Ku. What are your first just sort of basic thoughts and reaction to the hiring of Troy Troy Weaver? So for some reason, I'm having trouble saying Troy. I don't know why. So I do I. My mouth is it. Yeah, I, I've never thought of that before, but I guess I am. But anyways, what are your initial thoughts to the reaction of his hiring?
1: Uh, first off, I just want to give like his background. Joe talked about it, but I just want to give like the, the precise accuracy of his background. So Good idea. I tweeted this out the other day. Um, so from 1998 to 2004, he was assistant college basketball coach for multiple different college, uh, colleges. In 2004, he was hired as the head scout for the Utah Jazz before being promoted to director of player personnel in 2007. Um, he joined OKC in 2008 and was promoted to assistant general manager and vice president in 2010, a position he kept with them until 2018. And in 2018, he was promoted to vice president of basketball operations. Um, some other things about him. Uh, one of the things, uh, Carmelo talks about him a little bit because uh, he helped uh, recruit him to Syracuse, the team that won the championship team. So, Melo has a nice relationship with him. Um, he played, and then going even farther back, he played a, a season of college basketball in a college in Maryland. And obviously, lastly, the Pistons had a little bit of interest in him back in 2018, but nothing was made. And you eventually saw Ed Stefanski be the senior advisor for the Pistons over the past few years. So, there's a... My that was my little thread I made just to give some background and some uh, information about him as a his history. So um, yeah, like Joe said, I think it was he was the best option. Um, I think just about everyone I've seen thought he was the best option. Uh, It was very early on in the process, I believe we got a report that he was like I believe Vincent Goodwill tweeted last week that. As soon as this, the rumor started that they were already making progress on a deal, like it was gonna, it was close, close to already basically to happening. So, I think everybody knew this was gonna happen, basically, unless something fell through, and everybody's happy that it happened. Um, I, w- like Joe said, I wouldn't have been happy if they hired a player as a GM, a former player as a GM. I talked about it on my YouTube in a couple of videos. Uh, this is one of the most important off seasons, if not the most important off season, the Pistons have had in my lifetime. Uh, they're finally going into a rebuild. uh, And this is the first step going into an actual rebuild. I don't know if I can recall in my lifetime, uh, the Pistons actually going full blown rebuild. Uh, As far as my, as far as I know uh, with Grant Hill, we weren't like top of the league trash. Uh, Then after that, you know, the going to work Pistons came. And then after the going to work Pistons, we always stayed around the seven, eight, nine area. So it it wasn't, this is going to be the first year we have a top was a top five pick. Um, they've accepted to the rebuild. Um, so I think this is one of the most important off-seasons, not the most important off-season of my lifetime. So we needed to have someone who knew what they were doing. We couldn't afford to have someone who just was learning on the job. Uh, that wouldn't have worked in my opinion. And uh, so I, I really didn't want a player, Tayshon or Chauncey. So I'm really happy with this hire. I think me and jo- Joe said a lot of it, but uh, everything points to this being a good hire, all the things I pointed to, all the things I said. Um, he has a good track record with OKC, obviously. And one of the biggest things that, uh, the Pistons have, I think actually the most, the biggest thing the Pistons have struggled with over the past decade has been player development. Um, that's probably been their number one biggest issue. The second issue probably would be picking the players that you want to develop. So they both go hand in hand. But um this is something he specializes in. This is like where he started at and one of the things that OKC uh, excelled at over the, his tenure there. So um, actually, I just want to read this real quick. Um, I had a, I had somebody, I believe, I forget who his name was. I had some guy tweet me on Twitter. Can I tweet? I tweeted this out saying that this is his specialty and this should really um, help the Pistons, young players, specifically Bruce Brown because... If we want to, if Joe ends up bringing up something, I'll get into that later. But, um, I, I okay, it was asked right here. It was, what effect would a GM actually have on a player's development? Which is which is fair. A lot of people probably think that GM would have nothing to do with it. Uh, so I, I, I gave a couple, couple things that GMs actually will do. A good GM can help with player development. So, one, they bring in and hire the people who are, will be directly tied to the player that develops them. Um, two... I'm Obviously, we're not in the front office, but I'm assuming, at least I would assume, that since he started in player development and he's a scout himself, he himself would be pretty active in it as well. Um, two, he can provide a stable environment for younger players, which is a big thing, I believe. Uh, you need a stable environment, a good team organization uh, organization to be a part of. Um, for example, like the Knicks. The Knicks have been like, a stock for a while. It's really hard to develop players. Over there, a lot of a lot of people don't want any of their players to go over to New York because it's just a it's just a bad scene all the way around. So that's not somewhere you want young players to be. So getting them a stable environment and a, and just an overall good place to be helps with the development as well. And then lastly, you can surround these younger players with other players who will help their development. Uh, for example, Dwayne Casey's been talking all year about needing a point guard. He thinks a point guard would help uh, keep the offense more fluid and and make the offense more fluid by doing that that helps uh other players achieve more in offense to get uh play better on offense such as the younger players so that's those those are three things and there's multiple other things that gms do but they all pretty much fall in line with those three categories so um i think this is a great hire i know joe probably probably will get into a little bit at least about what he was saying to me in the in our group chat but uh yeah, I think this is a good hire. Joe pretty much said everything else about it. I mean, I don't have much else to say, but I'm really happy with this hire. Uh, this was the guy I wanted. I pre- This is the guy I said I wanted last week. And, yeah, they got him. this. is This is pretty much the big fish and the GM free agency, and the business got him. So it's a it's a good, a good hire, theoretically.
0: Yeah, um, I pretty much agree with everything that you said, obviously. I said a little bit before. And one thing that I will say that is... Kind of like when you look big picture, uh, something that I think is a really good sign for the organization is given the fact that supposedly um, Troy Weaver's services were going to be in demand and he also was really well valued in Oklahoma City, presumably he was fairly comfortable there and such, it's unlikely because so one of the things that we talked about when the Pistons first announced... Um, that they were going to hire a actual general man- manager, uh, which was, of course, our last podcast that we recorded. Um, we, we talked about, you know, will the new GM be given enough power and free reign, or will it still pretty much be the Ed Stefanski show, and then the new GM will just kind of be there or whatever. I don't think, and we both pretty much agreed that that would not be a good idea, that if you're going to hire a general manager, he should be, the one that's in charge and sort of give him free reign to do his thing. And by most accounts, I don't think that I don't think that Weaver would have taken this job if he thought that he wasn't going to be given an adequate amount of freedom and sort of uh, ability to make decisions for himself. Because the reality is if he didn't if the Pistons weren't willing to give him that he knows that he's in a really good spot in Oklahoma City and he's going to be able to get a different job with someone else where he could have that kind of freedom and power. So one of the biggest fears that we talked about potentially this general manager search ending up with, which would be you know a sort of fractured front office and still kind of a goofy situation where Ed Stefanski is still making a lot of the calls, but there is a general manager and stuff, and you know just kind of being messy, I think that that's not going to be the case just because I don't think that Troy Weaver would have taken the job if that was. So when you you look at sort of, you know, big picture stuff right now, I think that's a good sign for the organization. Just that it looks like he's going to be a proper general manager. He's going to be given plenty of freedom and flexibility to do what he thinks is the best thing to do for the team. Uh, I mean, and that does bring out about a certain degree of... Um, of frustration with the way that they handled this past season because if you're going to hire a general manager, why not let him make some of these decisions? But that's another thing altogether. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that's a really good thing, big picture. Now, I guess we may as well, I may as well talk about this right now. Um, There is one thing that has made me worry a little bit about this hire. And it's the fact that it has been absolutely and utterly universally loved by everybody, and I know that that sounds like a goofy thing, but uh, there's kind of two sides to it. First off, is just the basic fact that there's some people that have said this is a great hire, that I think are remarkably unserious people, who I wouldn't take, who I would not take seriously on almost anything. So like, I'm probably the best example is Kendrick Perkins, who has regularly said stuff that's like either insane or just outright false, like constantly. Uh, To the point where I actively, I would say more often than not, if Kendrick Perkins says something, assume that it's just a falsehood. And uh, he tweeted out, he was like, oh, he's great. He's got one of the best eyes for talent in the league. Uh, You know, So there's that, which is just like, it is a little bit concerning that so many people whose opinions I think very poorly of think that this is a really good hire. But kind of, and look, Admittedly, one of the reasons that I've thought like this is just because there's been so little Pistons content to think about for a while that I've overthought this a little bit. But, like, the, no- the just sheer number of people that have been talking about how what a great guy he is and how great he's going to do and all that stuff, it makes me a little bit worried because... So when we initially talked about the then-upcoming GM search... One of the main things that I said I was a little worried about was I hoped that um, the front office, that Ed Stefanski effectively, was going to really do his homework and such, and that I don't necessarily trust him that much, and there's been some pretty worrying signs about it. And the way that it's been so incredibly universally said, this is the guy and he's great, makes me a little bit worried that, like, they might not have done their homework well enough. They may, you know, Troy Weaver probably... Like, maybe Troy Weaver is someone who he's just so charismatic and so well-liked that everybody and their brother, it, all they can do is talk about what a great guy he is. And so, you know, I'm a little worried that they may have just been like, well, everyone says that this is the guy, so this must be the guy. And then there's also kind of a practicality thing where, um, you know, you can... You can get a long way in this world by just being really charismatic and likable. Like, let's just be honest about that. And there is a certain point at which that can't carry you anymore. And one of those steps where it can't carry you anymore is going from being the assistant general manager so that, you know, there's still someone above you who is making the final calls, um, going from that to the general manager where the buck stops with you. Uh That's one of those things. And while, once again, looking at his history, there's no reason to think this. You know, he's someone who he started with the nitty-gritty. You know, he was a scout. And anyone who has done NBA scouting will tell you, when you start out as a scout, you just grind, and you have to be absolutely committed and a really hard worker because you get paid very little as an NBA scout when you first start. Uh, So, once again, all of the signs, and before today, uh... All I said, what, I thought that he was the best option, just like you did, Koo. But there's just a degree to which, literally, I've not seen... A, not just has no one said anything negative about it, no one has said anything but hugely positive things about it. And, like, it gives, it gives me the same sort of vibes that, I, that we got when the Memphis Grizzlies hired David Fisdale. Where, because David Fisdale is a really good guy and a really likable guy and a really charismatic guy... So everybody was like, oh, we're so happy for David Fisdale, and he's so great. And then it turned out David Fisdale makes a really, really bad head coach. And that's just... I realize that it's a little silly to be worried about this, but it has... And this is not a joke. This is not me like trying to be ironic like, ha ha, Kendrick Perkins thought it was a good move, so it must be bad. Like, There is this part of me that is legitimately concerned about this. And... Maybe, it's, maybe part of it is just because the Pistons have... Everything, basically, that can go wrong has gone wrong for the Pistons for, what, over a decade now? So, <laughs> maybe there's a degree to which they've just broken my optimism, but um, I would say also probably a big thing is that I'm just... I'm still... I still am leaning towards that I think Ed Stefanski and company are not all that great, and so that's that's probably a big part of it too so i don't know i understand that i'm probably overthinking all of this and stuff but i would be lying if i didn't if i didn't say that this is truthfully something that i've thought about and am a little bit worried about just the fact that every single person thinks this is the greatest thing ever so Ku cool. i don't know if you want to say anything to that or if you just are sitting there like this dude is off his rocker. what is wrong with you you thought this was the right hire and now that they've made it and everyone's like, "Yeah, this is the right hire. You're you're freaking, you know, you're you're now you're second guessing yourself. Like, what's wrong with you? They did the right thing for once. Just enjoy it." So, I don't know. If you don't want to say anything beyond your fucking stupid Joe, then that's fine. I I understand. Go ahead. I mean what what else am I going to say? I'm done talking about it. I'm not going to say anything else about it. If you want to say something about it, other No, no, no,
1: no I, you said you just said everything I was going to say. Okay. You just, we, okay. We'll you, so
0: you think I'm just I'm just I'm just wild and I'm just being overly pessimistic yes. about it. Okay. Okay. I'll I will i am and I and look, I've often said that I try with the Pistons to be like a willing optimist, right? Where it's like I know that I'm taking the more optimistic outlook on things more often than not. Like, I know that it's usually not going to go as well as I say that it might. But, um, so I'll try to do that here. I'm, and once again, everything you look at on paper, this is this is the right hire. So, I'm not going to, don't, don't misconstrue me and think that, you know, I think that this is going to go poorly. Or that I think that this was the wrong hire. Just that I am undeniably a little bit uneasy about that. Um, and kind of on that note, it is worth noting that it's a little strange to me that suddenly a lot of people have like almost taken a victory lap for Ed Stefanski. And even if this does end up being the right hire at general manager, let's be clear about something. Ed Stefanski has not... I At best, he's been very okay in the two years he's been in charge. Uh, like, let's not... It's a little bizarre to me. Like, I've seen several people say something to the effect of, you know, let's make sure we give Ed Stefanski a lot of credit for setting up the Pistons in this way so that now Troy Weaver can come in and they've got all these assets to build a contender. It's like, what? (laughs) What are all of these assets? I mean, what is the Pistons? The Pistons' best asset is a, you know, probably like fourth overall pick in a supposedly weak draft. I mean, you know, they've done some good things, but I don't know about that. So yeah, I don't know. Is there anything we'll we'll stop we'll stop dwelling on Joe's um on Joe's paranoia about the fact that everybody is thinking it's the best thing ever. So I don't know. Is there anything else you wanna tack onto it? Or um you know we could also just like guess maybe here's the best way to put it, okay? So would you say that his hiring gives us a clue because we've talked about it a lot before, uh, even before the season was over, that this offseason was a bit tricky to assess for the Pistons because there's very clearly multiple paths they could take. Uh, We could very much see the possibility of them trying to put together an at least somewhat competitive team for the next two years yet because Blake Griffin is under contract for two more years. But we also could very much see them totally tearing it down and just tanking out the next couple of years. And do you think that the hiring of Troy Weaver gives us any sort of insight into which way they're going?
1: No, I don't I don't think it gives us much insight. I think all it tells us is that, I mean, not even that it tells us, it's just that you can look at it and see that he's going to have complete like flexibility over the next four years. Like, he, he can go, just like Joe said, he can go any way he wants because there's just so much flexibility he can do. So, I don't think it tells us which way they'll go. It's just we're going to have to wait and see, which we're going to have to wait a very long time because the NBA refuses just to cancel a season. So, yeah. that's what it is.
0: And um, I will say that. Well, I do agree with you, I'm not sure that this tells us that much more because I think that the that's sort of that big a picture decision-making. I think that that's where Tom Gores is going to give some opinion. And, you know, in the past he's always said that he doesn't want to just tank, but uh, this past season has made some indication that maybe he's decided, okay, it's worth doing now, so it's hard to say about that. But I will say for me personally, bringing in someone like Weaver... Makes me a lot more comfortable with the idea of a total teardown and trying to build through the draft because, once again, if you look at one thing, look, no matter who they would hire, unless they hired a really established veteran general manager, so like obviously if they could have hired someone like uh, Masayu Jiri, okay, which obviously wasn't going to happen, but like if they could hire someone like that, they'd be like, okay, we know this guy knows what he's doing. But anybody who's never been the general manager before. It's always hard to know exactly how much they were doing or exactly what they were doing, but about as concretely as you can with this situation, we're pretty sure that this guy knows how to draft. And we're pretty sure that he's got at least a pretty good eye for talent. So, with that in mind, I feel a lot more comfortable about potentially trying to, you know, tank out the next two, three years and get as many high draft picks as we can uh, than I did. Certainly more comfortable than I did with the thought of Ed Stefanski running the show because Ed Stefanski had like no history at all of being a draft guy before, and um, even though it's you know it's it's still too early to make any really concrete conclusions, but the reality is that in his two drafts, it's a looks kind of hit or miss. So I feel a lot better about that prospect now than I did before, uh, but. I, think, I do agree with you that, like you said, I think that a lot is still going to be up in the air. I think that if they feel like, if the organization feels like they're going to be able to sign some guys that can make them competitive, I would guess they will. And really the question is, what level, you know, how far does their potential additions this offseason need to fall in terms of quality before they decide this isn't worth it anymore, let's just tank it out, right? So, like, if Fred Van Vliet who is supposedly the guy that they really want, Uh, you know, so if they're able to sign him, well, then they'll probably sign him and try and be okay next year. But so if you don't get Fred Van Vliet, then, you know, how low of a quality point guard does that need to get to before they're like, yeah, this isn't worth it. We're just going to be awful next year and live with it. Like, is it, you know, and that's that's really the question. It's like, are they willing to go down, 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 like to where DJ Augustine is your starting point guard? Or are they willing, Or are they just going to say, if we can get Fred Van Vliet or, you know, whoever Trey Weaver's favorite target might be, um, if it's someone other than Fred Van Vliet. You know, if we can get our top guy, then we can try and win next year. But if we don't get them, then we're not going to bother with it. We're just going to lose. So I think that's really what the question is at that point. So, yeah. Any... Um, yeah I'll
1: just, I, I just want to say that I believe I've came to this conclusion myself from multiple things I've seen, multiple things I've read. That's my, my read on this situation. This is this. Um, I don't see them going full tank next year. Uh, I don't see how that would be productive, unless like so like okay. I, there's like two different ways I think about this. Either one, like Joe said, we got a new GM and now they wants he wants to start fresh and do his own team. Like he wants to start fresh. I could I could see the future where he gets rid of everybody, including like Bruce, Zvi, Luke. Uh, all the rookies that were drafted, besides Seku, all the rookies that were drafted before him, and he just wants to start fresh with his guys. So if that happens, then obviously what well, I'm about to say goes out the window. So I can, I can certainly see that happening to where, like, they just say, screw it, we're not going to try to win, and then slowly, like, I, next year, at the end of the season, all of a sudden, like, half more than half the roster wasn't here at the beginning of the season. Like, I can see that type of thing happening. But my read right now on the situation would be this. With Blake still on the team, I don't think it's even possible to trade him, which I've already, we've already talked about here before. I don't think it's possible to trade him at least until his final year. And even then, I don't think you're going to get somebody to take on take him on. Uh, so I think the most likely scenario is he, he via Josh's contract with the Pistons. And then I, me and Joe talked about this a few podcasts ago. I forget which one it was. But my main point was if you have Blake Griffin and then you have these pieces that you already have, it's hard to like really justify a tank because a tank doesn't really help any of them. And Dwayne Casey, Dwayne Casey talked about this as well a- after the season, and it goes into him saying that they want a point guard, which I'll get into a little bit. But they obviously see the fact, or at least Dwayne Casey thinks this, and I agree with them. Uh, completely tanky will not help any of the young guys develop. Uh, purposely losing will not help any of them develop. Um, Sekou needs to have, yeah. like like one of the things I said when, I, when the guy asked me, what does a GM do to help younger players? You need to have players around those young players that can help make their lives easier so they can uh, develop along the right way. So Dwayne Casey believes it's getting a point guard. It seems like the front office believes it's getting a point guard. They need a point guard to help make the offense easier, knows how to run an offense. Um, So uh, my read on the situation is they'll do They'll do whatever it takes. They'll do whatever it takes this offseason to get the roster in a situation that helps the younger players. So I don't see any type of way they're top five drafting they're drafting top five next year. Um I don't think that they're gonna go full blown, like comp- compete, compete, compete kind of thing. But I wouldn't be shocked if we were looking at like an eight through twelve positioning, like anywhere from eight to fourteen in the lottery, because once again, with Blake, if Blake's healthy, you're not going to be at the bottom of the league, even with Blake. No matter what you do, Blake's going to get you some wins. And then you know, everything points to him. Bring Christian Wood coming back to the team. Um, and once again, and overall, my, my biggest point is is that this roster isn't built to the point where you can just tank and your young players will get better. It just won't happen. Like, they, they don't have the Zion Williamson when you have that guy and you can just say, screw it, we're going to just – it is what it is. He'll do, he's going to eventually be great anyways. We're going to get as many young prospects around him and just try to get as many as possible. Uh, and so that, that's my read on the situation. Either either he'll look at these young pieces and say, well, they're not that good anyways. I don't really want them. Let's start a brand new with Sekou and I'm just going to get rid of everybody and get my own guys, which could happen, which would involve a tank or somewhat of a tank like that that could happen, or the more likely outcome for me, I believe, is that the Pistons build a somewhat fun... Actually, I think that would be the best way to describe it. A fun, young, and uh, entertaining, at least, team to watch and develop with next season. So, yeah, that's uh, that's what I wanted to input in.
0: Okay. Um, And we've talked about this before, so we don't need to get too far into it, but just to respond to your last point is, I think that there are some people that and not think, there are definitely people, because they've said it regularly, that they think, you know, I'm not that worried about if the team is winning or losing. Even if they're losing, I just want the team to be young and fun to watch. And once again, so when you say a team that's, you know, at least somewhat fun to watch and stuff, that that means that it's a team that's at least competent enough to win some games, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So, like, yeah. because there's people that, they seem convinced that, it will be fun to watch a team full of young guys, even if they win 18 games in a season. And, like, that's just not true. It never is, and it never has been. Uh, so, like, you know, even, you don't need to be that good, but, like, you need to at least be able to come close to going 500 before you get to qualify as being particularly fun to watch. Unless you have... The only way, way that you don't is if you have some sort of, like, truly transcendent talent on your team. So, like... Uh, and if I'm thinking about, like, maybe the early Michael Jordan years or the early LeBron James seasons or uh, um, maybe, well, Carmelo's teams were good right from the start. So, you know, I mean, and, and Zion Williams, they're already good. Maybe like the Pelicans when Anthony, basically the whole time Anthony Davis was there, where your team can suck but you've got one guy who's so good that it's all—it's kind of worthwhile to watch. But even that gets hugely frustrating because you're watching, you're just like, we're freaking wasting this guy's career, you know? Like, you need to be have at least some level of decency uh, in order to qualify as fun to watch. And, and inevitably, some of the people who are saying, oh, it'll be fun, they'll pretend that they're having fun because they want to not look like idiots. But we know that it's not. It's just not. It's never fun to watch a team that sucks. So, and for what it's worth, I do agree with you that um, I do think that the most likely outcome is they're going to at least make some effort to put a few veterans on the team. Um, And I think that I'm not sure that I'm as convinced as you or say Dwayne Casey that it's that valuable to have a certain number of veterans on your team or anything like that. But, and like, I think that you can 100% still progress and learn and improve as a player without those things. But I think that they definitely, at the very least, the, I think that this front office believes that that is a good thing. Now, once again, maybe Troy Weaver believes differently. Um, and once again, I hope that if he does, they let him they let him do what he thinks is best, um, regardless of whether he thinks he agrees or disagrees with them. I hope they let him do that. But, yeah, I think that the team thinks that way. So I would guess at the very least they're going to try and sign enough guys I guess basically, barring another, which isn't that unlikely, barring another season full of injuries, I would be surprised if the Pistons didn't win at least thirty some games next year. Like at least in like the thirty-five range at the lower end. Um, at least on paper, a team that might win that many games. Once again, I like this year. You may have so many injuries that it just you're going to lose a bunch, and that's the reality. But uh, I would guess that they're going to make some attempt to put competent. At least a few competent players on the floor, um, so I guess before we go into we've got um, kind of a separate section we want to go into. But I didn't tell Koo about this. I just thought of this now. So before we go into that separate section, I'm gonna we're gonna do some quick fire things, right? Questions for Troy Weaver that you're gonna answer that you hope decisions that he hopes he makes, right? Um, and we'll try and make them quick. So a few important decisions. So first off, how much of a priority is bringing back Christian Wood, aka how much money do we want to pay him?
1: 10 to 12 million.
0: 10 to 12 million. I would agree with that mostly. Uh, we've talked about this a little bit before, but if they decide to o- totally tank it out, I'd be okay paying him more because if he's overpaid, then, well, you're trying to suck anyway, so it doesn't matter that much. But if they have any intention of being competitive the next few years, yeah, I would say that 10 to 12 is probably the right amount. Alright, second question. Is Kyrie Thomas worth keeping around or do you cut him to free up a roster spot this summer?
1: If you keep him, are you are you giving him a chance to do something?
0: I'm that's that's the question. Is it even worth giving him a chance or is it not? Because they can cut him. I'm I don't know when his contract will become guaranteed for next year, but they you can cut him and open up the roster spot.
1: Cut
0: Alright. I would keep him. I think that he's got something. Uh I don't know if Dwayne Casey will give him a chance or not, but I still kind That's of That's exactly why I say cut. Him. Yeah. So um but at a basic level, I think that Kari Thomas deserves a shot. And I think that, you know, even if they're trying to be somewhat competitive, what's the point in doing some sort of a rebuild if you're not gonna give a guy who I think deserves a shot a shot? All right, question number three. Does Jordan Bowen deserve to be on the roster next year? Yes. Okay, I agree with that. Question number four. Is Bruce Brown a point guard? Yes. All right. I agree that I think he should be, but we heard some concerning things there from the head coach last year, which makes me a little bit concerned, but whatever. All right, question number five. Is Fee Mikhailik a starter or a bench player? Long term. I want to say
1: that we... I just want to say we need to talk about that Bruce Brown thing a little bit. As we will. We, we'll, 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 loop,
0: we'll loop back around to it this podcast. That's fine. Is FEMA College okay, so a sweet. starter long-term or a back-end rotation guy long-term?
1: Neither. I think he's a, a nice rotation piece to have on a certain team.
0: Does Luke Kennard deserve to be on this team or should he be traded?
1: I just talked about this. Uh, yes, he should be here long-term. Right. I he agree not with that. going anywhere.
0: I agree with that wholeheartedly. Does Tom Maker deserve to be re-signed this offseason? Cut him. Cut him. Don't, want, don't, don't want. to re-sign. No, he he, he
1: not. His contract's up. Don't re-sign him. Don't don't come back with a meeting for him. Don't. does when it, the day that the contract officially runs up, that when that day that it happens, like free agency starts, just stop communication You pay together. for his <laughs> taxi
0: to the airport. All right. <laughs> does Langston Galloway have value as a veteran presence? His contract is up yes, this offseason. Yes, actually. Okay.
1: Yes, I I would have actually a lot of interest in just having Langston come back and be like the same role player that he's been.
0: Are you looking for trades for Derrick Rose immediately?
1: No, I'm gonna wait for the season to start.
0: Okay. Um, I'm I'm coming up with these on the fly. I'm trying to think if there's any other good ones. Do you have any that you would surprise
1: you? No, no, yeah, there's one. I I've, I've been waiting for you to a- okay, ask. For you answer. Okay, go for I it. Go for it. Ask. Uh, and hopefully this gives you a little bit more time to ask some more. So okay. Um. Who are you drafting?
0: I'm, I'm, I'm on record several times. I'm trying to draft Lamelo Ball.
1: All right, same here. I think Lamelo has to be the target. Yeah. All right, last. Okay, another question with Lamelo. I had. Okay. I was on a, I was on a show the other day. I got. I was a guest on a show the other day, and they asked this question. And honestly, I hadn't thought about this. I didn't know how to answer it, so I'll throw it to you. If if let's okay, so both of us asked Troy. Weaver, we LaMelo Ball is our guy. You, New York Knicks look like they're going to get him if they're ahead of us. Let's say they're at four. Do you, tra- if you If you know that he's your guy, do you trade up for him ahead of the Knicks to get him?
0: Uh, wholeheartedly depends on how much it costs, right? So if the price is... Or you explore it? Yeah, you definitely explore it. Um, it also depends a little bit on what else there is. So, like... Um, I'm going to stick with what I've said before, which I think Lamelo Ball is the best option in this draft. I would draft him number one overall. I'm not joking about that. Um, what's the guy's name? Anthony Edwards who's supposedly going to be the number one pick? I don't like him. I don't like him at all. I don't think he's going to be that good. Uh, he could be, but I'm really, I really uh, I'm not sure I would want to be drafting him if the Pistons picked 10th. So, yeah, I'm really not a fan of him, but Um, so I think LaMelo Ball should be the guy, but I also, and admittedly, a lot of this is influenced from, you know, nerdy draft Twitter, but I think Killian Hayes would be a pretty good option also. So, like, if the Knicks want to, really are at four and the Pistons are at five, and the Knicks really want to draft LaMelo, right, but Killian Hayes is for sure going to be on the board, then I'm not giving up much to go up to draft LaMelo Ball, because, you know, you've still got another guy that you're very comfortable drafting in that position with. And, you know, and look, I'm not like a super draft gra- guy. I never have been. The only reason that I've given any opinion on this is because there's been freaking nothing else to talk about for the last several months. Um, I Traditionally, I've never done any pre-draft stuff. The only time that I've looked into whoever the Pistons drafted is after they're picked. So, you know, I can't speak to every single prospect. But I think that would be a big impact is... So first off, obviously, how much they want to, in order to move up, and then also who else is available and how comfortable are you with them. So if Killian Hayes is for sure going to still be available, then I'm still interested in at least exploring moving up to get LaMelo. But I'm very comfortable taking Killian Hayes as well and think he's going to be a really good player. So, you know, then I'm less willing to give up a lot. But sele- we'll just we'll just put me on the spot, though, here, and then you can we'll put you on the spot with the same question and just say that Killian Hayes slash whoever else is another guy you're comfortable with is not available. So it's Lamello or it's Bust. The price to move up for the Knicks is Luke Kennard. I would Am do I it. Am I
1: answering first?
0: I, I'd do it. Would you do it? I'd do it as well. Yeah, I think so. I really believe in Lamella Ball. I, I I feel stupid saying that, but I really do. Uh, okay. No, yeah,
1: like, like no, like like you said, with your a lot of your influence. Like, I'm the same thing as Joe. Usually, I don't do any kind of draft stuff most of the time, but um, obviously, this offseason is a little different because the Pistons actually are like at the top of the damn lottery. So it's like, okay, now you have to know at least something and. I follow a lot I follow a lot more this year than and, last um, year. A lot just more to, draft guys.
0: Just to interject something, just like we did last summer and um I did you weren't a part of the previous ones, but every every year I've we've done a podcast um with Helbridius because he's really into the draft stuff. The plan will be to do that still at some point. So we will have some sort of a draft extravaganza before the draft at some point, just so that people are aware. So we will there will be more of this, but please continue. Didn't mean to interrupt but
1: no you're fine uh so basically all i'm saying is that i follow a lot more people that do draft stuff this year and they've absolutely before like you can ask my friends my friends all call me a lamello hater because before like this year i was not that big of a believer in him i thought he was overhyped but a year later i'm completely sold on him i think he has the biggest potential in this draft um I, okay, like Joe said, we're gonna have like a draft pocket, so I don't want to get too I mean, much. Into we can it, talk about I it think... now.
0: We got nothing else to talk about. We'll talk about other guys because we know that Hal is not particularly fond of Lamella Ball. And oh, yeah, the not. other thing is, so Hal such a draft nerd that he'll want to talk about us with all the other players that will potentially be available to. So I wouldn't be we and we're not gonna do that right now. So go ahead, we can talk about Lamella Ball all we want.
1: So basically, all I'm saying is is that. From everything I've seen, I've been completely convinced that is the guy to get if he's there. He should be the target for the Pistons. The Pistons want a point guard. He's the point guard they should go get. He's tall. He's a tall point guard, which I think is, is a tremendous plus. Um, he has one transcendent skill already. He has one just elite skill that's going to translate immediately. That's his playmaking and just pa- playmaking and passing in general. He's just like Lonzo with that. It, he may even be better. Some people think, So I've seen some people say he may even be better than Lonzo at this so like I understand and another thing I've seen from draft like people who do the draft and one of the big things I've seen a lot of them say is that um, not you don't necessarily just look straight at their percentages and how much they average and all that Like that, that's not how you do draft stuff that's not how you evaluate a, a prospect um, so I understand he shot poorly from um, overseas but like I said, he has one transcendent skill already right off the bat that's going to immediately translate. And that skill set is, I believe, what Dwayne Casey has everybody have been preaching that they want on this team for like the past year and a half. So that skill set alone is is extremely valuable. Also, everything I've seen and read, he's bad on defense, but he shows the same type of instincts on defense that Lonzo did in, in, in college as well. So it feels like it really is. Everything I, a lot of the things I've read, I mean, Lonzo and Lonzo and Le, uh, and Lamar, uh, not Lamar, Lamelo, uh, come, you gotta give credit to Lamar, basically what I was trying to get to, because they seem to have like a basic feel for the game. They have, a, not even basic, they have a really good feel for the game. They're IQ off the charts. Feel for the They game. know. Elite. What is? In advance Elite. Exactly. So they they know how to play the game. They're a great feel for the game. High IQ, so like as much as everybody's crapped on Levar and some of the things, absolutely he's deserved it. Um, his two boys are legit; like they know how to play the game of basketball. And they, and while Lamelo uh, seemed like he just didn't try on defense over there, um, once again he showed the same kind of understanding and instincts to be a good defender. And his body top body type makes up makes it to where you could see him being a good defender, just like Lonzo. So I just and also, um, I know his shot is a is a bit of a talking point. Just like, I mean, literally, I, I feel like there's so much similarity between him and Lonzo, it's insane. But uh, a lot of people were talking about his shot, how much of a question that is, and a lot of the people I follow, a lot of the people I follow for draft stuff, seem to be pretty confident that his shot's going to eventually get there. So, all that said, is pretty much me just saying that I would trade up for him if the opportunity was there, because I think that he's the guy the Pistons need to get.
0: Yeah, um, I'll try not to go too far into it, but so, one thing, so you mentioned that, you know, he's got one transcendent skill that should translate right away, and that's his passing slash vision, um, but he's also got, even though not necessarily transcendent, he's a really good rebounder for his position, and a lot of people don't know this, but um, obviously he didn't play in Division One college, he played in Australia, but typically... The most consistent skill that translates from lower levels to higher levels is rebounding. That's that's traditionally, historically, that's been the most consistent skill. And that's one of the reasons why I think that you know a lot of people have described Lamelo as a boomer bust guy. I actually think that his bust potential is lower than a lot of other people think. As in, there's not as much of a chance because I think he's going to step onto an NBA, NBA floor. We know for a fact he's got. NBA length and athleticism, right? He's not going to be, it's not like he's going to show up and it's going to be like, oh he can't create any space for his shots and suddenly he sucks now Um, so we know he's going to be that and then he's got two skills that from the moment he steps on an NBA floor, he's going to be at least above average from day one, which is his passing and vision and rebounding for his position and, you know, that's pretty good and then when you consider his potential in other areas, it just makes sense For me, my biggest worry with LaMelo is actually not his defense or his three point shot, which is the main thing people bring up. My biggest worry for LaMelo is that he's, how tall is he? He's six foot seven, six foot eight?
1: Six, seven, six, seven, six,
0: eight. Yeah, so he's that big and he's a really good athlete. And yet in Australia, he really didn't do a lot of attacking the hoop. Um, And that's actually the thing that's the biggest worry to me is, you know, when you're that physically able, you know you're that size, you're that athletic and such, you would like to. Now, part of it is look, I mean, he's a he's an he was an 18 year old kid playing with a lot of grown men in Australia, right? Which certainly doesn't help him there. Uh, you know, maybe if he play if he had played in college last year, he would have been better at attacking the hoop because he wouldn't have been playing with a bunch of grown ass men. But that is something that's a little bit worrying to me. Uh, It's never a good sign when you've got a guy who you look at him and you say, he ought to be like a monster inside, and he's really not. He really, really struggled inside the restricted area and in the paint, Um, whether that's the fact that he was way too willing to pull up for floaters and stuff, or the fact that even when he got all the way to the hoop, he struggled to finish through contact, that kind of thing. Because in a lot of times, um, finishing at the hoop effectively is one of those things that It's very rare that you see guys sort of learn that at the NBA level, right? Like, you can teach a guy who's a bad defender to become a good defender in the NBA. You can teach a guy who's a bad three-point shooter to become a good three-point shooter. You can teach a guy who, you know, maybe isn't the best passer to gain some vision. You can teach a lot of things in the NBA, but sort of just the ability to just sort of have the right touch and feel inside to finish through contact, that's something that you... I maybe, who maybe there's someone that you would think of, but I, I struggle to think of a lot of guys who they show up in the league and they really struggle to finish inside and then learn to as their career goes on. I mean, there's some guys that they go from kind of, you know, not that good to then having the ball in their hands a lot, and they sort of start to. Like Jimmy Butler would be one of the first guys that would come to mind there. But even in his earlier first few seasons before he had the ball in his hands a lot, and he was primarily a three and D guy. He still showed an ability to finish inside, uh, as much as anything. He just started to do it a lot more. So that's actually the biggest thing that's a worry to me, because if you can't be if you're if you want to be a primary ball handler and you can't really show any threat inside, then the defense isn't going to react to any penetration that you get. And if the defense doesn't react to any penetration you get, you're not going to create any passing lanes, and that's going to really cook you. So. Unless you're, like, a transcendent level shooter, like, you know, like obviously if you're Stephen Curry, and who, Steph, for what it's worth, Steph is actually a really good finisher inside. People don't give him nearly enough credit for his ability to finish inside, but that's another thing altogether. But, like, if you're that level of shooter, then sure, you can get away with not being that good of a finisher inside. But if you're pretty much anything below a transcendent level pull-up three-point shooter, um, it's actually more important as a lead ball handler to be an effective finisher inside than it is to be a good shooter. So, yeah, that's actually my biggest worry with him. It's not so much his shot, even though, obviously, his three-point shot is a concern because he shot really poorly. His form might need to have a serious overhaul, and the defense is a worry too, even though I'm not as worried about that as a lot of people for a lot of the same reasons that you mentioned. Uh, but yeah, my biggest worry with him is actually that he really did not show much ability to finish inside or through contact. Um, yeah. Do you have anything else you want to add on to that?
1: No, yeah, I completely agree. I think that's the main thing. And that's the same thing with Lonzo too, that he struggles with. So it's, it's really crazy just to me how similar they are when I think about them too, because Lonzo's biggest issue for me is the same thing you just said, his ability. He, he struggles to get to the rim all the way and finish at the rim, which really, um, a lot, of, a lot of what I've learned about about analyzing, these, trying to analyze prospects or anything like that is, you know, like you said, if you can't get to the rim, it can really hamstring or hamstring or, what's the word? Handicap your passing. Uh, you're passing and playmaking because if you can't get to the rim, lanes aren't open and you're not going to get as, uh, as much of a reaction to your drives. Um, that's a, certainly a big issue, uh, not a big issue, a big concern. So, um, I agree with you, but Lonzo, even with that, Lonzo's been able to still remain a, a, a great playmaker and great passer. So, um, and I think that has a lot to do with this year, especially because he improved his three point shot so much. So, I I personally believe if he can just get one of those things going, he'll be straight. If he can just get, if he can get uh, better path getting to the rim and finishing at the rim, or his shot just comes along, I think he'll be straight either or. But I basically that's it. I basically agree with everything else you said.
0: Well, just for what it's worth, on Lonzo, let me check this here a sec. Um, So, he actually also has, he's a good finisher. Um, So, this past year, this is just going off of, um, this is just going off of basketball references thing, which is not always the most accurate, just for what it's worth. But, so, according to basketball reference, last season... Uh, within three feet, which is the restricted area, Lonzo Ball finished, uh, hit 61% of his shots. The year before that, just under 60%. So that's not like elite tier, but that's pretty good, especially for a guard. And um, I'm trying to... Here, just a sec. I want to try and check to see what he was in college. Because his rookie year, he didn't finish very well, but he had a lot of injury issues his rookie season. Uh, yeah, they don't have the shots, one, the shooting in on the college page. But, you know, Lonzo is actually a pretty good finisher. Uh, his main problem is he doesn't get there to finish a ton, but he does okay as a finisher. So, uh, basically, I think if you're not able to be a pretty good finisher inside, that really is going to handicap your ability to be a starting point guard. So, yeah. Um if you do you have any other questions for hypothetical Troy Weaver? because I, I I did manage to think of a few while we were in this conversation. No, I do not. All right, next question. Troy. <laughs> Are you exploring trades for Tony Snell right away? Yes. All right. Troy. Do you think that Blake Griffin is ever going to play a full season or come close to playing a full season healthy again?
1: That's not why I thought you were going with that.
0: Uh, well, we've already uh, established that you can't trade him, right? I Maybe you could trade him after this season, but that would be because he's an expiring. What's close level. to a
1: full season?
0: Hmm? Let's just say he needs to play at least 65 games and then be healthy yes. for a hypothetical postseason. Yeah. Okay, you think he can. All right. All right, next question. Do you think that either or of the John Henson-Brandon Knight duo are worth keeping around for the future? John Henson. John Henson. You would keep John Henson. Okay. No, I know. I,
1: if, if I wouldn't keep, I wouldn't go out wide to keep them. But if I'd be okay if he was on the roster sure. still as a backup.
0: What about the pair of Dante Hall and Lewis King, the two youngins who spent a lot of the year in Grand Rapids?
1: Yeah.
0: Is that your answer? Just Meh. Okay. yeah. Yeah. I would try and keep. Uh, I would try and keep both of them. Honestly, I think that I think both those guys can play excuse me I apologize for that Troy what position does Sekou Duboya play?
1: his career or next season
0: what position do you think Sekou Duboya should play?
1: should play um hmm. small forward
0: you think he's a small forward long term? I think he's a power forward long term Troy what position does Sfima Kylik play long term? Should he play long term? Is he a shooting guard, a small forward, or a power forward?
1: I uh, don't think it really matters as long as he's on the wing. So All right. guard, shooting guards are a small forward.
0: Okay. I'm trying to think if there's any more that are worth saying here.
1: I got one I got one for you. Okay. Well this is the last one I can think of. Okay. Uh name me the players that you think are worth keeping for uh for the future. Of all the like actually worth keeping. Not just players that you, me and you like, but like if you just looked at them, new guy, you're like, okay. all right, these And I'll guys give are worth I'll
0: give one more qualifier. Here. Guys that we go out of our way to keep. So like there's guys like you said, it's like uh um John Henson, for instance, which we're cool with keeping if he wants to, but we're not going out of our way to keep him. Um like no, yeah, I would put, about the younger yeah, guys. I would put Thon Maker in that too. I actually wouldn't mind keeping him a little longer, but not going out of our way. So Guys that are worth going out of our way to keep. Luke Kennard, Bruce Brown, Svee Mikhailuk, Seika Dumboya.
1: Svee's in that category. I didn't think speed would be in yours. Yeah,
0: I mean, he grew on me this last year. He played really well. Um, he needs to make some improvements, but uh, I would say he's in a very similar spot as Bruce Brown to me, where he needs to make some serious strides to become an actual useful player. So it's kind of like when you think about the progression of a lot of young players, there's a step where you go from a lot of young players at the very start of their career, they're objectively bad NBA players, which is okay. There's a lot of guys that are like that. Most guys, like in their rookie season, are objectively just not positive forces on the basketball court. Um, And then there's a step for most guys in between where they actually become good players or they start to show that they can become good players. And I think both um, Svi and Bruce are showed that this year, where they showed enough towards like, you can see the mold in which either one of those guys can become a useful player on a good team long-term, but they are not there yet. I don't think either of those guys would be more than, like, a tenth guy in a rotation on an actual good team after last season, but both of them could very well with some specific progress in areas that I think are very possible, either one of those guys could hypothetically be, you know, I mean, on certain teams, maybe even a starter on a pretty good team. So, yeah, so I'm not saying that those, I think those, that both of them are going to end up being as good as that, but both of them certainly are good enough to where right now I'd say, yeah, those guys are worth keeping around long-term. So, like, i I'm it's like, look, I think that Kyrie Thomas deserves a shot, but... The reality is he hasn't shown anything yet, so I wouldn't feel comfortable saying, yeah, this is a guy we're going out of our way to keep. I would keep him for next year if it was up to me, and I would make sure that he gets a shot, but we're not going out of our way to keep him. So, yeah. What about you?
1: I have two guys and two guys only. Okay. Bruce Brown and Sekou.
0: Bruce Brown and Sekou, the only two. Neither of us said Christian yeah. Wood. Uh, don't
1: get me... That. I've already... I've already... I've already been labeled a Christian Wood hater, so let's not let's not talk about Christian Wood because anytime I say anything about him I just I get I get hit with the with the the clan of Christian Wood yeah. stands and I don't want
0: to. Yeah. For what it's worth, my the reason I didn't include Christian Wood is because I think that whether they want to or not, the Pistons are going to end up being awful for the next few years and as such I think that it literally doesn't matter. I think by the time the Pistons are going to actually be good again, Christian Wood will be old and gone regardless. So that's why I think actually it doesn't really matter in the end. I don't
1: know if I think he has serious issue, serious issues on the court yeah. that looks, I, agree, I
0: agree I agree with want. you on a lot of those. Um but at a basic level is that even if he's as good as some people think he is, I think that it won't matter. I think the Pistons are going to be awful for at least 3 years. So and you know 3 years from now he'll be what going on 29, right? Is he 25? Yeah, he's 25. So he'll be going on 29. And, you know, and the longest contract he could even, other than a max contract, he could only sign a four-year contract with the Pistons anyways. Is like the longest he could sign with, I think, under the current CBA. So even under the longest contract he could sign, which he probably won't sign a four-year contract, I would guess. um, You know, I think by the time the Pistons are ready to start to be any good again, He'll be he'd be entering the last year of his contract and be a free agent. So yeah, I just think that regardless of how good he is or isn't going to be, I think that it won't actually matter in the long run. Okay. Yep. Um,
1: all right. I all got there. two. Bruce Brown say
0: Alright. Are there any more? I just want to make sure that, Oh, I've got one. I've got one for you. Based on something. I've got two for you. Based on things that uh that your um, senior advisor, Ed Stefanski, has said, thing number one, do you think that it is worth trading guys for even low second-round picks, even if you can't necessarily put a name to them? Do you think that's worth trying to do?
1: I feel like this is a self-explanatory answer. <laughs> you're just trying to take a shot here. A
0: little bit. Yeah, I am. I am trying to take a shot. Ed Stefanski a bum. That's what I think. Fair <laughs> okay, actual question. What do you think is the value of an NBA center in today's league?
1: Of an NBA center in, in just in general? a Yeah, center?
0: in general. How important is the center position? Tremendous value. Tremendous value. Tremendously. Because Ed Stefanski said that, made, made a lot of comments about how, you know, there's teams that are playing without centers at all in today's league. It's really gone away from it. Well, that's he made it pretty see, clear okay, that he th- so let me just, he made it pretty clear that he thinks that center is not an important position in today's NBA. So I'm just curious.
1: All right, so let me so let me just let me just no no I, I just disagree. That's I not I disagree.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right. Um. So anything else on the GM stuff?
1: Nope.
0: Okay. What what time are we at here? We're over an hour. Do you want to call that good, or do we want to go into the other stuff that we were maybe going to talk about? How are you feeling? Feeling frisky or not that frisky? I can,
1: I can keep going. Okay. I told you. I just need an hour. Okay. Just give me an hour, and then I'm not sleeping no, right. so you know, you know, so go no more. All right. We're feeling frisky,
0: so we're going to go for it. All right. So um, now that the Pistons season is officially, officially over, uh, we're going to do a little bit of a recap of the season in the form of we're going to just do some basic awards for the Pistons. Obviously, some of these awards are going to be pretty obvious who's going to win them. But, um, and also the fact that, you know, they were so bad that it's questionable that it's even worth giving this award to anybody. But basically, it's just a sort of a mechanism through which to talk about the previous season. So, let's start with... Most improved player on the Detroit Pistons. Koo, who would you say is your most improved player? Bruce Brown. I would agree. I would say Bruce Brown deserves most improved player. Koo, why do you think Bruce Brown deserves most improved player? I know you wanted to talk about this. Hey, listen here, man.
1: Uh, I think everybody knew me over the past few years as a Stanley Johnson truther. Uh you know, I was, I was Stanley Johnson's Brian Windhorst. You know, now that he's been gone, Bruce Brown has not taken that spot. And I'm now a Bruce Brown guy. I fully believe in what he can do. And the reason why he's the most improved player, which I believe Joe has read it before. Uh, I wrote like 2,000 words at the, at the end of the season explaining why Bruce Brown, not Christian Wood, was the story of the Pistons season. And in it, I explained that a lot of people don't understand how much he really – how much he really got better because he didn't go from uh average player to great player he went from bad player to maybe average player and that's a huge jump he made he went from if you look at all the if you look at his basic stats his basic box score stats he's all he's pretty much doubled all of them but if you look at the more in-depth stats all the advanced stats uh which i laid out in the article I, i can't remember his exact positioning obviously and all of them without looking at it but he went from bottom of the league and almost everything to middle of the league and everything and just in, in one off season, And that's a huge jump to take within one off season. Along with that, he went from being an absolute horrendous shooter to being a reliable shooter from the corner, which I interviewed him about, by the way, and he told me how much he worked, worked on it. So he went from being a horrendous shooter to being a reliable one from the corner. Um, everything, literally just about everything you look at, he improved. Literally, I don't think there's one thing we can look at and say he did not improve at. Um, and, and another, it does anything you ask him to do, he does it. I like to point out the fact that uh, after Andre left, we asked, we needed someone to start rebounding the ball more, help on the glass. It wasn't Christian Wood. It wasn't Thonmaker. It wasn't John Henson. It was Bruce Brown was the first Piston guard ever to have 10-plus rebounds in five straight games. So, literally just about every aspect of the game actually not even just about in every aspect of the game he got better um his playmaking drive uh, what joe was talking about earlier guys who just show up and look like they can't finish at all who become eh, finishers bruce was an awful finisher last year he showed improvement in that this year he's still not a good one but he improved on that as well uh it's literally just every aspect i can go on and on there's literally not a single thing he did not get better at this season so uh, I think Bruce runs away with that
0: war. And And um, I think the main argument that I would give for it being Bruce instead of Christian Wood is when you look at the stats, other than his three-point shot, um, obviously it's some small sample sizes, but when you look at the stats, it's not like Christian Wood revolutionized his game in any way. It's just he played a lot more. Like by and large, like you look at his per thirty six and a lot of the advanced stats, I mean, a lot of it is like it really is like, yeah, he just he played more than he had in the past, uh, and so you know, and look, I think that I still wouldn't, I'm I'm not gonna argue with anybody who would pick, um, who would pick Christian Wood for that, because he had a really impressive season, but yeah, I think that that would be sort of the I think that it would go a little bit against, and it's frustrating me because this is often what it is um, with this award. Is there oftentimes it'll just be someone who they just get more of an opportunity, and so they win most improved player when they're not actually that improved. They just play a lot more. Uh, so yeah, that would be my main argument for him, and I agree with pretty much all the stuff you said. Uh, I don't think I'm as high on Bruce as you are, but yeah, I mean he oh, trust a lot. Me, not. Yeah. Yeah. He showed a lot this year, though. All right, next one. Unless did you want to say anything else about Bruce before we move on? Although maybe you'll talk about Bruce again in a sec here.
1: Oh yeah, no Bruce. There there was a whole topic I want to talk about with Bruce, but I don't think we're gonna get to it today. So no.
0: Okay. So Detroit Pistons defensive player of the year. Cool. Who is the Pistons defensive player of the year? On a team that finished... Here, wait a second. With the... Let me check. The Pistons finished with the 22nd ranked defense in the league. Who is their defensive player of the year?
1: People are not going to like this answer because I gave it on the show I was a guest on and they didn't like it there either. I don't care. It's Andre Drummond. He played enough games in the Pistons jersey this season. Qualify for this. I was the games that were possibly played. Um, and there's nobody else who should even be in the argument, honestly, because everyone else was. I mean, maybe Bruce, but that that's about it. So, uh, Andre Drummond, he's not pissed anymore, so I don't think people really want to hear us talk about it much. So, but uh, the answer is Andre Drummond, in my
0: opinion. I wholeheartedly agree on that one. Uh, the Pistons were an absolute trash fire on defense pretty much all year. Other than Bruce, I struggle to think of a single person on the team that was a positive on defense with any consistency. I mean like we made jokes about this early in the season but it's like when you're missing Reggie Jackson because he like actually tried most of the time on defense Like when Reggie Jackson gets hurt and one of the main things you're thinking is holy crap he's better on defense than almost any other perimeter player we have you know that it's a freaking disaster. So yeah and I do also for what's worth agree with you that Andre's not a piss anymore, so we don't need to really talk about it much more beyond that. But, yeah, and he absolutely played enough games to be a part of it. In the end, because the season's canceled for them, uh, he didn't actually end up missing that many games. So, yeah, easily Defensive Player of the Year. So, next one is our version of Rookie of the Year. It's not going to actually be Rookie of the Year, because obviously that would be too narrow. So, instead it's going to be players on their Rookie Contracts of the Year. So, this would include... Luke Kennard, Bruce Brown, Spee Mikhail, Ky- Kyrie Thomas, Seika Duboya, um Jordan Bone, uh, and the other two way guys, Louis King and um Dante Hall. So, cool who is Bruce your Brown. rookie contract player of the year? Bruce Brown. Alright, you're gonna give it to Bruce Brown. Um I'm awful tempted to say Svee here, honestly. I'm very tempted. Uh, and you know what? Just be a little Go different. Ahead. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say Svee Mikhailuk. I think that he was... I think Bruce still has more potential because Bruce's potential as a point guard is real, uh, even if Dwayne Casey doesn't think so. I think that that really puts him in a different conversation. I think that he has the potential to become, like, a legitimately really, really good player really valuable player that I think Svee tops out as just a pretty nice rotation piece. But I think for this season, I think Svee Mikhailuk was a better, more positive, impacting player than Bruce Brown was, I think, for this season specifically. I mean, he shot so well from three. Uh, he wasn't as much of a <laughs> trash fire on defense as I thought he would be. He still was pretty bad consistently. He occasionally did some ball handling that went mixed, but not too bare, bad. Uh, I was really impressed with him this season. So, yeah, I think, I think I'd think say his feet. Yeah, And, um, you know, pour one out for, her because this should have been, as well as, quite frankly, probably most improved as well, this should have been Luke Kennard's award. Uh, and yep. I would say with some confidence that had Luke Kennard not gotten hurt, he certainly would have gotten this one. It's like, he got hurt, okay? On the season, he only played in 28 games, but he was playing 33 minutes a game, 16 points per game, and uh, how many assists? I already scrolled away. Oops. 16 points and 4 assists per game, true shooting percentage of 59%. So, it is worth mentioning that had he played more games and kept up that level of play... Luke Kennard is winning this one in a landslide, and I probably would have given him most improved as well. But the reality is he only played in in less than half of the games. And I think at that point you have to just say, yeah, that's a no-go. So, um, next one and then last one. Most valuable player for the Detroit Pistons this season.
1: I think it's uh I think it's quite sem- I think it's quite obvious who won uh MVP of the Pistons this year and I think
0: it's Wood? Derrick Rose Cr- Derrick Rose No I
1: think it's quite I think it's quite obvious it's Derrick Rose um I'll I'll explain the reasoning here if you're picking Christian Wood I think you're being completely recency biased that that is compl- you are you must have only watched the last ten games of the season if Christian Wood was a one hundred percent, not the MVP. The first what forty-eight games? How many games the Pistons played? Sixty-six. Uh, I
0: think they played so. sixty-six games. I think so.
1: So they played sixty-six games. Okay, so you didn't watch like the first fifty games, if you think he's the MVP because he wasn't—he wasn't their best player the first fifty games of the year. So due to consistency throughout the entire season, yeah, how much Derrick Rose was literally carrying the Pistons for the beginning of the season, him and Andre, at the beginning of the season, and then just in every like the Pistons were just better with him on the floor Um, the Pistons offense was better with him on the he was just I I think in every possible way Derrick Rose is the best player for the Pistons this year it should have been Andre if Andre stayed but he didn't so he no it's Derrick Rose Christian Wood only got 10 I think it was 10 or 11 games in of him obliterating opponents Uh, so I don't think that's enough to get him over Derrick Rose so I think it's Derrick Rose by a landslide in my opinion
0: I would just like to say something about this.
1: Oh, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> no,
0: I'm just... I just want to point something out. Christian Wood did play more minutes this season than Derrick Rose did.
1: He, he might have, but he didn't play as well. I, I'm just saying, he Rose did
0: didn't. play more minutes. That's fine. Why not... Do you know who played the most minutes on the Pistons this year? I didn't know this until just now.
1: Um... Well, no, don't tell me. I want to tell you a guess now. Okay. Um, was it... Was it
0: Speed? No, Langston Galloway. Oh,
1: makes sense. Yeah. He, play, he played in every game, he? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he played in every game.
0: Uh, Yeah, I think so. 66 games. And the thing that's funny is, despite playing in every game, uh, he only finished, like, 50 minutes ahead of Andre Drummond. Despite playing in... Uh, an extra 17 games. (laughs) Don't get me
1: started with the whole Andre drama, man. We Um, got to stop talking about it because you're going to get me mad again. Yeah,
0: I mean, for MVP, I do begrudgingly agree with you. Uh, I would say, I would actually give Andre enough credit to say that I would split it between Andre and Derek because those two, I mean... The only good things that happened to this team this season are because Andre Drummond and Derrick Rose just forced it to. Right? Like, this team, the entire... And it's funny that Derrick Rose is one of these, but the entire team crumbled and broke and failed around them, and those two guys just continued to show up and do their jobs every night. Um, You know, they both had a couple of stretches where they missed some games. Obviously, Andre got traded, but... um, You know, and like, I don't know, we've talked about Andre ad nauseum and how we both have been, were very frustrated by, and at times just upset by the way that Pistons fans treated him and reacted to him. Uh, But I will say that at least for me personally, even though I desperately wish for an alternate timeline or at least sometime in Andre's future as a player that he gets to play on a team where... The other guys on the team don't fail him completely, but there is there was something fun, um, for me personally, about looking at you know both the, those guys this season and knowing that you know Andre and Derek they just put it all out there regularly every night. They knew that it was a lost cause most <laughs> nights, but they just kept doing it. I mean, it's like I mean, what did Andre put up in his last game before he got traded against Phoenix? And he put up like thirty and twenty or something like that. Uh, Thirty-two
1: point. I just tweeted this out. Thirty-two points, nine, 19 rebounds, four steals, three assists, and a block.
0: Yeah, and then also as far as the MVP conversation goes, after they traded Andre and then Derek, I did Derek play? He played a couple of games after Andre yeah, got traded, but only like a couple, didn't he? He and yeah, after that trade, the Pistons won a single game, and they lost. How many did they lose in that time? Didn't they go 1-11? in Yeah, 1-11. in and, and a lot of those games were not close. <laughs> like, oh yeah, it was bad. There was it was a very p-
1: fun to watch, apparently. We had a lot yeah. of fun watching it. Yeah,
0: I didn't have... A, like, it was kind of fun to watch Christian Wood dunk all over people. But, like, no, it was not fun to watch. Um, you know, it's just... It really hammered home that this past season, the only thing that stood between the Pistons being, like, just kind of normal, mediocre and, like, a historically bad team is that Andre Drummond and Derrick Rose are phenomenal basketball players. Like, because after the Andre Drummond... I want you guys to
1: record this right now. I want you guys to record, Joe. If you guys have been with this podcast for the few years I've been on here... hey, hold up. Remember at the very beginning of all this podcasting, when I used to be a Rose fan, how much I used to get destroyed for saying that he was a good player. Remember the very beginning when he first signed back with Timberwolves. This is is
0: unfair. Once again, I'm being attacked for presenting my ideas. No, I mean, look, I've, we've, we've, I've done some trolling here, but I'm from the start, when you've brought up the possibility of the Pistons bringing on Derrick Rose, I've said from the start, look, I don't know how much the guy has left in the tank, I'm worried about his injuries, but the dude can still get to the hoop, and the Pistons need a guy who can get to the hoop. And I do have, and slash would have, very serious concerns about how he would fit had the Pistons not had everybody get hurt so that he didn't have the ball in his hands all the time. Because Derrick Rose is very much a guy who uh, his value drops a, in a big way when he doesn't have the ball in his hands because he's not a good shooter. Uh, he's a decent passer, but he's not like a quick mover passer. You know, he's not like the Reggie Bullock just pinballed around the perimeter. And obviously he's not a good defender either, so... Um, I do have wor—I would have worries about that. But the reality is that's not what happened this season. What happened this season was the ball was put into Derrick Rose's hands a bunch. And he played really, really well. And, yeah, I mean, literally, like, I don't know. I feel like, and this is one of the things that's frustrating to me about a lot of the narratives around the NBA. Is uh, that because the Pistons' base level is so bad people don't give want to give Derek or Andre credit for this. But, like, the reality is that had, had Derek Rose stayed healthy or slash just continued to play, because supposedly he probably would have kept playing more had the Pistons not fallen totally out of it, supposedly. Um, it's like, let's just say the Pistons don't trade Andre Drummond and they don't fall totally out of it like that. So those two guys play out the rest of the year. The Pistons probably would have won, what, like 35-ish games or something like that? I don't remember exactly what their pace would have been, but they would have probably ended up in the mid-30s. And, you know, those two guys literally would have been the difference between this team winning, like, 35 games and, like, 12. And a lot of people are like, well, they're still mediocre, so it doesn't matter. It's like, no, actually... It does matter. That's insane to think about, that those two guys are that level of good, that they took a team that by every statistical measure after the Andre drone trade, the Pistons were like peak tank Philadelphia 76ers slash peak awful Charlotte Bobcats levels of bad. And you can't, and I love how some people are responsible. Well, you know, they, they got rid of, under, they got rid of Reggie Jackson and they got rid of uh, Marquise Morse. Reggie Jackson was hurt the whole damn year, anyways, guys. Derrick Rose missed some games earlier in the season, too. Like, you know, these guys were not playing all season, too. Those two guys, I guess not single handedly because they were together, double handedly, were the only thing that kept the Pistons. They not only kept them from being a total embarrassment, they made them, like, at least mediocre. And that's actually insane to think about. So, yeah, I will give Andre enough credit because this is really going to be my last chance to talk positively about Andre Drummond as a piston because, you know, I'm, what's done is done. Uh, but I will split it between Derrick Rose and Andre Drummond because those two guys, I mean, there's nothing more to say other than that. Those two guys deserve better for the effort that they put in this past season. And um, at the very least – and. You know, there's also definitely a fact with Derek where it's a very feel-good season for him individually uh, to see him, you know, get to play and really thrive uh, after all of the injuries that he's been through and have a season where, even though, once again, he did have some injury issues, he was more or less healthy most of the season. So, yeah.
1: With everything you said, Ben, uh... I think what you bring up is a great point. I think we, I think me and you have said it in different ways, like not exactly how you said it just now. And people don't really like either one, don't understand it, or don't care for it. But I think you said like exactly what everyone, or at least me and you, have been trying to say for years now, is that literally, like we've been, like if you take those two off the team, like they, the Pistons. We're not saying the Pistons, but like we're good with them. Like, they were mediocre. It's that's, that's kind of the same thing I'm saying with, like, Bruce Brown, that he went from, like, bad to mediocre. Like, that's a, there's a big jump between those two things. Like, it's not just – you don't go from – it's not just simply bad, mediocre, good. It's not That's not how it goes. Like, the Pistons went – like, without Andre and Derek, majority for those final 11-12 games, like, those games were just putrid. Like, it was just – it was throw-up. I'd throw up in your mouth and kind of, kind of watch – kind of basketball. It was It was awful. And then if you think about before then, yes, they weren't that good, but they were literally at least competitive. They were competitive in games. And like Joe said, they would have won like 30 or something games. If you take those two off, they're winning like 16 games. And we're, we're like worse than Atlanta. So, yeah, that's basically all I got to say. I'll, I'll, I'll agree. After listening to Joe, I'll agree. I'll, I'll split it with Andre. I think he played enough games to split.
0: Yeah. So, uh, those are the awards that we were planning on doing. Um. I mean, got any anything else you want to touch on as sort of a general thing? Um, once again, now that we are to the point where we know the season is over, just like we've talked about before, we do plan on kind of going player by player um, and recapping the season. But is there any sort of general stuff you want to touch on here?
1: Nope, not much. All
0: right. I would like to say one thing before we finish, and that is, look, I still maintain that trading for Blake Griffin was the right decision to make. Um, from the start, I acknowledge the risks that what ended up happening would happen, that he just wasn't able to stay healthy. And, you know, that ended up happening. So it, it was a risk. It was a gamble that looks like, at least, it will not have paid off, barring some sort of miracle in the next two years. But I would just like to say something. Cookie Hill. How much money... Is Tobias Harris going to be paid next year? Oh,
1: God. Uh, I don't know, but I'm pretty
0: sure he got the max. $33.5 so million. Dollars. You know how much he's going to make after that? $36 million. After that, 38 And the last year's contract, $41 million. Tobias Harris oh got God. almost an identical contract to what Blake Griffin is on now. And I tell you what, I know that Tobias Harris has been mostly healthy, but whew, I would I think I would much rather go with, I hope Blake Griffin stays healthy, because when Blake Griffin is healthy, at least he's pretty close to being worth that. Tobias Harris at his best is not worth even close to that. And I would just like to point that out, that even if you want to argue that the Pistons still lost that trade because Blake has been hurt and such... They didn't lose a lot, and that's all I'm going to say about it. <laughs> the biggest yeah, thing, enough. because there's some people that still complain about why we give up Tobias Harris for him. It's like, I don't feel bad about that anymore. Because, yeah, all the if the Pistons had kept Tobias Harris, really they'd be keeping the right to overpay Tobias Harris by about a billion dollars.
1: Especially that's, since that's the salary enough. cap
0: is about to be way lower, supposedly.
1: Since since Joe brought up Blake Griffin, I'll make this statement. I'll make this statement that I've been, I've been hiding from saying. I said it to one of my boys, the other day. I told him that I was purposely not saying this out loud because I know I'd get attacked for it. But since Joe brought up Blake, I'll make this statement. Be my general thought to end the podcast. Kuka Hill lived through the going to work pistons. Uh, he was a very young kid, obviously a very young child when it happened. Well, I lived through them, and I lived through the entire two thousand tens of, of throw up. Uh, I'm willing to make the statement, right? I'm, I'm no, not willing. I'm confident in making the statement right now. You ready for this, Joe? Oh, I'm ready. I'm I'm comfortable and confident in making the statement that Blake Griffin, through only was it now. How many seasons he been here? Three. Two and, Three and a, a half. Se- two two and seasons. And a half. Two and a half seasons. Through two and a half seasons, Blake Griffin is my favorite Piston of all time. Yep. (laughs) Blake Griffin is my favorite Piston of all time.
0: Okay, now, you do realize that Derrick Rose is currently a Piston, right?
1: That doesn't count. He doesn't he doesn't qualify. <laughs> that
0: doesn't count? Okay. I just wanted to make sure you weren't saying so that qualify. you now are a bigger Blake Griffin stan than you are Derek Rose stand. I wanted to just double check.
1: That.
0: I mean Blake's getting up no, no, not okay. no, Derek just doesn't count. Okay. If, de-
1: okay. if Derek were been like drafted here like Chicago,
0: then yes, but no. Okay. Not, that doesn't count. Okay. Huh. Blake Griffin is your favorite piston.
1: Huh. I I I'll just give I'll give a brief explanation for why. Just a real quick brief Okay, one. go for it. First of all, first of all, his season 2018-19 is the best piston season I've ever witnessed in my lifetime. Defin- it's definitely it's definitely the, so, so the it was,
0: best season since uh I forget which year it was, but there's year there was a Grant Hill year that was pretty incredible. It's definitely the best since that at least.
1: So there's that. I've never had more fun watching a piston than I did watching Blake that two years ago or last year. Well, I guess I should technically say two years now. But uh, that's one. And then, secondly, and this is a big one for me. This it, the the season I had already claimed that that season was the the most fun season I've ever witnessed for a piston as a piston fan. Which I guess you could say says more about how the pistons have been in my lifetime. So I guess you can say that. But. Um, this is what really secured it, and I think Joe would agree with this. I think a lot of people would agree with this. Ever since Blake showed up in Detroit, he has done nothing but embrace the city, love the city, love the fans, talk nothing but nothing but good things about the city, say nothing but good, uh, good things about the people in Detroit. He's been active in the community. Um, he talks about the community like he, there's, check every box that you like a like one of your. Like, just name a favorite player of yours for your hometown team. And it's just like, he checks every box of those that you need. So, like, I was talking to somebody about Chris Bosh with the Raptors. And Chris Bosh doesn't really accept Toronto. He, like, he always makes little funny jokes about Toronto. He takes little stabs at Toronto. So, it's like, it's hard for anybody in Toronto to really care about him or accept him, even though he was pretty damn good with Toronto. Blake, in just two and a half seasons, has done nothing but accept Detroit not just accept Detroit, but like embrace Detroit as like his home for like and that's what you expect from your favorite player. So not only did he give me my favorite season watching, he's also done nothing but accept my hometown. so he's he's moved into that number one spot two and a half seasons.
0: One thing that's worth mentioning with Chris Bosch Raptors fans have changed their tune on a lot of their history in the last year or so. If you would ask uh, them before the, and I'm just saying, like, look, winning a chip changes things, but like, if you would ask, now Kyle Lowry was is was already like pretty wildly beloved, uh, but if you went back a year, or well, I mean, it'd be more than a year now, but if you went back a couple of years, uh, Toronto fans would be a lot more willing to be like, yeah, Chris Bosh left us, but we really liked him and he was phenomenal. But, you know, once you win a chip, you feel less attached to the guy who led you to a bunch of first round exits. Like, let's just be honest about that. So, yeah, fair I just enough. wanted to put that out there that, you know, it's a lot easier to talk shit about Chris Bosch once you've now won a championship, right? Like, fair enough. Like, you know, like, it'd be like it was a lot easier for Pistons fans to talk shit about Grant Hill after they won a chip in 04, right? That'll be. It was a lot easier Fair to enough. suddenly be like, "Yeah, Grant Hill." Psh, never won with that guy, anyways. When when Grant Hill <laughs> played for the Pistons, guess what? People freaking loved him. So, yeah, that's just something I wanted to. Just wanted to put that out there. That's a pretty wild statement, Ku. Uh, can't say I agree with it. Yep. But um, <laughs> you know. Okay, Ku. When what year were you born?
1: Ninety-seven.
0: So you were. How old when the Pistons won a championship in 04? Um, I think, I so I'd
1: be 6, because I had turned 7, yeah. so I'd be 6. So,
0: I think that it is worth saying this, and, because a lot of people, they want to belittle people for this, and I actually think that that's stupid, is so, now, you would remember going to work Pistons a little bit, but like, you're 6 years old, you know, you don't totally get what's going on when you're 6. Like, you kind of understand, like, yeah, we won, Right? And, like, I've often said this, that something I am thankful for is that, so I was, I think I'm, what, I'm three years older than you? I think I was nine when mm-hmm. the Pistons won in 04. Like, I was at least old enough to where, like, I got it. And I was like, this is special, you know? I There's a good chance I'd never see this again. And I'm very thankful for that. I was able to, like, get a pretty good appreciation of them. And I was just barely old enough for that. But, like, yeah, I think, even though I can't say I agree and it is a, it's going to be pretty ludicrous for a lot of people that you're saying that Blake Griffin is your favorite piston ever but it's like look man if a lot of these people it might denigrate that if you were 6 years old when the pistons won in 04 it's like yeah you're a little kid and you know you're like yeah we won but like it you don't connect the same way you do when you're a little older and like you actually fully understand it and stuff so even though i can't agree with you that Blake Griffin is my favorite piston ever <laughs> <laughs> for various reasons, and not just because I was at least old enough for the 0-4 Pistons to have Ben Wallace forever be my basketball idol. Um, I think that there's probably a lot more people who would say the same thing as you than a lot of people, than a lot of older people would would dare to suggest. Because, I mean, anyone your age or younger is going to have, at best very peripheral memories of the going to work teams right like that's just the reality so you know especially for someone who's younger than you like I mean I think about some of the people that we interact with on Twitter that are like 19 or 20 like those are people that they there's they definitely don't remember that championship they literally they were too young to remember that and when you consider just how and I've talked about this is one of the reasons that I've liked Andre Drummond so much as well for what it's worth. And one of the reasons why it really has frustrated me on a personal level the way that he was treated is that it's like, if you are someone who is young enough that you don't really remember the going-to-work Pistons and you're a Pistons fan, your only experience with this franchise has been trash fire, right? <laughs> and so, like, yep. for you, Ku, and look, I mean, I don't want to excuse myself. I'm only a few years older than you. It's just when you're, when you're at those ages, like, the difference between being 6 years old and 9 years old is a lot bigger than the difference between us now where I'm 25 and you're 22. Are you 22 Uh or are you 23 now? Yeah. Like, just simply put, the difference between 6 and 9 is a lot bigger than the difference between 22 and 25. Um, But yeah, there's a degree to which it's true for me too, though, because it's like the vast majority of me watching the Pistons has been the Pistons being a freaking disaster. And especially for anyone who's younger than you are, yeah, it's like all of your Pistons fandom has been suffering. And there's a strong degree to which last season, well, I guess now two seasons ago, that season with Blake is like almost like a shining lighthouse in just a, over a decade plus of just absolute <laughs> abject failure. And like that's one of the reasons Dude, If you
1: think about it <laughs> If you think about it, dude, like, you, it really, like, sunk in with me earlier when you said it. Because, like, I remember watching these Pistons, like, the Brandon Knight, Rodney Stuckey. Yeah, exactly. Trace McGrady Pistons. It's been 12 years. Yeah, <laughs> I, exactly. It, it's 12 years.
0: Yeah, like... We
1: went through a whole decade of us just being awful.
0: Yeah, more. More than a decade. It has been more than a decade of the Pistons <laughs> being terrible. So, yeah, it's just, like, you know, and... Once again, it, it, oh, it always bothers me when people try to belittle younger fans of something. Like, oh, you don't really remember this. That's like, I mean, you were their age too once. Like, you know, oh no. Like, you know, someone who was freaking four or five or six years old didn't appreciate Chauncey, the, the, at, the intricacies of Chauncey Billups' intelligence and brilliance on a basketball court as you did because you were 20 at the time. Like, no kidding, bro good for you. You weren't a literal child. You know, but <laughs> yeah, I think that there's a strong, and I think here's here's kind of a, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm I'm getting to my point in a very roundabout way, but I think that this is another thing that's a benefit and a reason why I thought that it was the right decision to trade for Blake Griffin at the time even though I knew the risk. And for anyone who says, oh, you," but he got hurt. Literally, you can go back and find the piece I wrote after the Pistons traded for him, I said, in that piece, this is a risk. There's a very good chance that he's going to not ever play hard more than 40 games in a season, and this is going to be a disaster. I said that from the start. But the reality is, there are a lot of people, especially younger people, who have basically no positive memories of the Detroit Pistons. And Blake Griffin, even if it was brief... He gave that to a lot of Pistons fans. And I think that for the older folk, I think if you were born, if you were someone who was born either, like we'll just say in 1985 to 1995, then you maybe remember the very, a little bit remember, the very back end of the bad boys, kind of like you or I remember the going to work Pistons, but you didn't really get to experience that. And there's a lot of those people that hold Grant Hill up as, like, that was my man. And I think that... And you know what? As a franchise, that has value. That... And, you know, I look through... um, I remember back when... This was... What? This was... Shit. This was probably, like, two years ago now. Um, because we were interacting with some of the international um, Twitter accounts. It's like Pistons France, Pistons Brazil, Pistons Mexico, etc. And I just tweeted out a thing international fans or anybody from outside of michigan um just tell us how you became a fan of the pistons and there was a shocking number of people who responded i really love blake griffin and i want to watch blake griffin and there's a real value to that for a lot of people who they didn't get to experience the going to work pistons all they've seen is failure from this franchise And so, even if it was brief, to see someone as good as Blake Griffin play for their team in their jersey, um, that has value in terms of creating and sort of, you know, sort of being a, a sort of bedrock for a new generation of fans, that they at least got one thing. And so, if you look at the past several years, you've got the season where they won 44 games, which was a really fun team. Um... No one on that team necessarily like obviously Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond were the top two guys on that team, but you know, there wasn't anything like what Blake had, but you've got that and then the la- that Blake Griffin season, where you've just you at least have some sort of a real like this is something that you can latch on to as a fan and sort of have be your a bedrock of your fandom of, you know, I watched Blake Griffin for that season and it was just so much fun and I was hooked. So that's the, that's kind of the larger point I wanted to get to. And now that's not what you were because obviously, like you said, you you suffered fully through the Rodney Stuckey years and everything. Like you were, you were all the way in this regardless of if Blake Griffin had shown up or not. Obviously, We both would be in that boat. But you know the fact that you say Blake Griffin is your favorite piston, I think that there's a lot like and you say that and you're like, people are gonna think I'm crazy and there will be people who think you're crazy. But the reality is there's probably a lot more people who agree with you than a lot of particularly the older heads would want to believe because the Pistons have freaking sucked for over a decade. And Blake Griffin was probably... And look, I think Andre Drummond doesn't get enough credit here for being like the one beacon of not suck in the last decade. I think he deserves a lot more credit for that. But, you know, Blake Griffin was that for a year. So yeah, I think that it's a really cool thing and I think that there's a I think there's a lot of there's a lot of younger fans that feel the same way as you. That's like, yeah, we've suffered through a lot of crap and for one year we got to be like this guy is for one year, I think that the most powerful narrative thing on a basketball team is when you have a player who is basically god. Like there's and there's nothing quite so much in sports as God on Earth as a proper NBA superstar on a court. And Blake Griffin was that for that season. Which, that was cool. That's I guess that's kind of my main point. I don't know. I meandered a lot through that. But that's kind of my main point about it. Um, and that's a good thing. Even if it ended up not working out in long term. Even if he gets hurt the next two years and everything else. And it ends up being overall not a success. Um, if you don't think that that kind of a thing matters, you're only fooling yourself. That's what I'm saying. Because even if you grew up with teams that were winning and competing for championships every year, so you think, who cares? You got swept in the first round. There's a, if you're one of those people, guess what? You're getting old. You're potentially old as dirt. So there's a lot of people who they didn't grow up with that. In fact, not only did they not grow up with that, they have no experience with that at all. And if they're, if they're a fan of teams around here, unless they're big Tigers fans, there's a decent chance that they may have experienced almost nothing but abject failure from their sports teams for basically their entire lives. Like, I mean, thankfully, I follow the Tigers pretty closely, so I got to fully experience all that. But, like, if I didn't follow the Tigers, like, think about this, okay? I'm a U of M fan. I'm a Pistons fan. I'm a Red Wings fan and all the other sports here, right? The, the Michigan has, by and large, sucked over the last decade. The Pistons have been an absolute disaster for the last decade. The Red Wings haven't sucked for the entire decade, but for, like, the last seven-ish years, they've not been very good, and they've sucked the last, what, two, I think? Um, you know, it's like... <laughs> and obviously, the Lions have always sucked. They've never been good. So... Yeah, I say
1: oh mentioning the lines I'll just say this Matthew Stafford is my favorite Detroit athlete of all time I think yeah. that also goes with what you're saying is that yeah. it's just yeah. it, it's just basically what Joe's saying with just the entire like your almost your entire life of a team sucking when you have that one guy and you just witness him just like just make make garbage less garbage it's just like it's like you appreciate it a lot more
0: yeah so like for, for the older heads think about Barry Sanders you know I Barry Sanders, I there was some bad there was some bad blood when because he quit like he did, but now that everyone's more or less over that, Barry Sanders is about as close to God for a franchise and fandom as almost any player that isn't like you know like Tom Brady for the Patriots will be or like Joe Montana for the for San Francisco or something like that like. You know, other than people who, like, won multiple championships, Barry Sanders is about as close to God for a sports team as anyone can be. And while Blake Griffin won't be that because he won't have played there long enough, but, like, just simply having someone that makes people think this is worth watching, that has real value for a franchise, even if it doesn't end up in, like, true success on the court, that has value for a franchise. And it frustrates me the way that people poo-poo that kind of thing. Because it's like, well, I grew up with championships. Well, these people didn't. A lot of people didn't. Well, you don't need to be that young anymore to have not to not have any memory of it. Like, there are people in college now who do not have any memory of the Pistons winning a championship. You know? So, for those people, and, Blake Griffin has value. Yeah, and just,
1: just real quick, like, try and give a little bit more insight on it. It's just like... I think I think it, timing had a lot to do with it as well. At least for me, for because I'm not I, like just for just to say this. I'm not joking. I'm, i I'm, I know you guys. I laugh and stuff, but I'm being serious. Blake B is my favorite person of all time. I'm not trouble. I'm being 100% serious. I think it has to do with timing too, because for example, like the big thing. And Joe always Joe picks fun at this every now and then with me, but it's it's, it's a serious thing. It's, I'm not joking. Like it's a serious thing um Detroit has everyone that I wasn't I didn't grow up in Detroit I was born there I lived like my first like I believe like four or five years there before moving but does anyone born in Detroit or from Detroit has this has this Detroit versus everybody and that's like a legit like Joe makes fun pokes fun at it every now and then but it's a legit thing that people here carry it's like a like it's 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 hardcore and the season Blake showed up here, it was Blake versus everybody. Everybody had counted Blake out. He was hurt. No one thought he was good anymore, blah, blah. So him getting to a city that has that same mantra, that Detroit versus everybody, he, he like, I think that's what caused him to really appreciate Detroit the way he has and and embrace the city because they had the same goal in sight when he came in, prove everybody wrong. We, it's us against everybody. And then when he did it, he, he literally proved everybody wrong that year. So as he was doing it, not only was Blake proving everybody wrong, Detroit was proving everybody wrong at the same time. So it's like that, that whole thing, like for like the playoff game, you don't understand. Like once again, like Joe said, I have vision. I, like I remember crying when the Pistons lost as a kid to the Cavs in the Eastern I was like seven or eight or something when that happened, but I remember crying about it. But like, like Joe said, I don't remember the intricacies of it. Like I, I used to like watching that game. I thought Daniel Gibson was God because he hit like seven threes in the fourth quarter or something. So I thought he was like Steph Curry or something. So, like, I don't know – I didn't know half these, like, guys or anything. I didn't like, I didn't know anything like that. But, like, as a grown – like, growing up, like, even before Blake, if you want to go before Blake, KCP with, the, like, the blocks that he was doing on, on LeBron in the, in the playoffs, like, that was a major thing. And then with the way Blake played in the playoffs, playing through injury, went out there hustling his hustling his ass off, doing, like, little hustle plays that, like, get on, like, sports that are like, oh, dude injured, playing his heart out for Detroit. Blah, blah And then the way he, like, I'll forever remember, I don't care what anyone says, even if the Pistons win a championship, like, in two years. If Pistons win a championship in two years, there's nothing that I would forget. If, or, if
0: if they win it in two years, Blake Griffin will probably still be on the team for what it's worth.
1: Okay, ten years. They say ten years. <laughs> but, but even if that happens, nothing will ever, like, eliminate the feeling I get seeing or I mean, me remembering how I felt when, like, Blake's out there literally playing with a... Gronkowski type fucking sleeve and brace on his knee, diving diving to try to foul because he can't handle it no he can't play no more in the final game and him walking off the court shaking his hand shaking his head feeling like he he let the city down and as he's walking out the whole city just stand stood up for him like legit the entire stadium stood up for him me at home I think I stood up for him legit like my, at home clapping my hands like appreciating what he did. Like, the whole city stood up for him when he went, when he checked out that game. I'll always remember the sight of, like, from the broadcast of him sitting down on the bench shaking his head looking like he was about to cry because of how bad he felt like he let the city down. So, like, I think it's perfect timing and all those things have a, long, have a lot to do with how I feel and other people feel about it.
0: Yeah. So, I think that we've said all that needs to be said there. So, I guess here's the last thing I'll say. Coup? I won't agree with you, um, but that doesn't mean, because because I, I do have, like, very real memories of the going to work Pistons. But that doesn't mean that the fact that Blake Griffin is your favorite Piston is, you know, somehow less valid or anything like that. And to anyone who may be listening to this who feels the same way. That's also not valid, and if you're an old head and you're thinking, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? Blake Griffin is his favorite piston. Maybe just remember the fact that the pistons have been a goddamn disaster for a long time.
1: <laughs>
0: just remember that. And also remember, you're old, and death is coming for you. So you hold Come on to your on. nostalgia tight. <laughs> so, Come yeah. On. I mean, yeah. So that I think that's enough to finish on. So, cool. I respect it, even though I don't agree with it, like, at all. (laughs) But I respect it. Okay, anything else you want to see?
1: Nope.
0: All right, so, once again, um, the plan then will be to just keep going, um, reviewing individual player seasons and what we see of the future, and hopefully we can get through those um, by the time the... Um, by the time the, however it is that they end up exactly, I mean, we pretty much know how they're going to resume the season. Um, but you know, there's so much, there's still people that are saying maybe they should just not do it and stuff like that. So who knows exactly how it'll be, but hopefully the plan will be that we're able to get through pretty much all the recapping that we want to do by the time they stop playing basketball again. And then we'll go into prepping for next season so that will be in that time period between when they finish and when they start that's when we'll have Hal on for a pre-draft pod and we'll just do other stuff like that so uh, we're almost to two hours here so long pod today Uh, so thanks for listening everybody stay beautiful and go Pistons